Opportunity. Yeah, there we go. Thank you so much for this opportunity to come and share with you, particularly this month as you talk about the Word of God and the importance of it um, and the value of it. So, um, yes, I hope to encourage you with that. Um, as we shared, this is our, our background. Um, we're with Wycliffe. Um, just a bit of our background as to where we got to where we are. Um, I actually am a missionary kid. My parents were translators in Papua New Guinea, so I grew up. That's some the smallest one in that, fam- that group there. And my parents were doing Bible translation at Woodlark, which is an island almost in the middle of nowhere, but dazzling white beach- beaches, crystal clear water, really hard place to grow up. Pick me, I will grow up there. I will suffer growing up in a place like that. Um, but uh, as a boy, that was just a hoot, sort of growing up in that environment. But when that first Bible was being dedicated, I was 15, teenager, and what really struck me even then was grown men weeping when they have the Bible in their own language. Um, somewhat impactful even from a teenager, um, which is the beginning of my journey of what, why the Bible is so important. Um, Sharon's a normal person. Um, her parents uh, are in Brisbane. They're actually still in the same house they were when Sharon was born 50-something years ago. Um, but for us, we got married in 84 in the, in the, when I was doing my Army officer training and was said, um, I joined Army Aviation, so I was out here at Oki from 85 onwards, doing flying training, and then spent in total about 12 years initially flying Kiowas all over the countryside, um, both hot and cold, you can sort of see in those pictures there, Um, and then a couple of years in Townsville flying Blackhawks, which take their own acre zone of destruction everywhere they go, very big, noisy aircraft. Um, But then at the end of that, um, the wheels turned that we left the army and joined Wycliffe um, in 96, that's what our family looked like at the time. Three kids in primary school. Uh, more recently, this is what our, most of our family looks like now. Um, sort of recognise some of those faces. My mum's in there. Um, and uh, three granddaughters at different stages of their life there. That's a bit of background. But now, why is translation important? Um, this is a Sunday school that I learned when I was a kid. You've probably heard as well. Now, Jesus loves me, this I know. The Bible tells me so. Now, that's quite significant, really. I mean, none of us are 2,000 years old. I mean, if you are, you hide your age really well. But none of us saw Jesus being born in Bethlehem. None of us saw Jesus dying on the cross. But we believe it because it's in the Bible, and the Bible tells us that. So let me read. Let's look at one of these passages of the Scripture, one of these foundational elements about the Word of God. Here's this passage. Ona aila iana iobobebo niatu. And on it goes. Now, this is a crucial passage of Scripture. Who's blessed? Who's encouraged? Nobody. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> someone better put their hand. <laughs> uh, maybe the kids might get it. But anyway, um, but, you know, I mean, why not? Obviously, don't read this language. Well, that's a bit unfair. You're right. It's, but there are still several hundred language communities that they get as much scripture from this powerful verse, sorry, they get as much scripture from any verse as you get from this. Like they can't understand one word because there's no scripture at all in their language. Well, that was a bit hard. Now here's that same passage in Melanesian Pigeon. So people been to PNG that could read this? Like I'm not going to embarrass, okay, I know John has, but anybody else just out of interest um, who could read this and probably get, uh, there's somebody who's being implicated there, so that's two. Um, and this is a Creole. This is mostly English. Uh, Upala, you, e, believe, believe, 
long Christ, so we've got Christ. Now long Mari Mari, that's a word you probably wouldn't get. Belong actually means that, belong God. So this is actually mostly English. But similarly, there's sort of two people in this group that could probably understand that. There are similarly several hundred language communities that the acts they have to scripture is what these people would tell them it says. Just imagine that. Your access to God is what these two people tell you it says. Now, if you want to trust them, if you want to trust the pastor, of course, that'd be a good sign. But that's, you know, think about that. Your access to God is what somebody tells you the Bible says. UNESCO used to say that if a language is 80% related, it is adequately intelligible. Now, that's a really big word for Sunday morning, but it means you should be able to understand it if you can understand 80%. Let's just look at what that means in practice. Here is another verse. You've read it many times. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So, so there's 28 words there. So a fifth of those, so 80% related, means 20% you won't understand. So 20% of this is like six words. So which six words do you think you would not understand? What do you reckon? What six words do you reckon you would, like if you're learning English, like you're not a native English speaker, what six words do you reckon you will not get? Acknowledge, yep. Say again. Acknowledge, understand, yep. So, and why? Like why those words? They're big words, yep. What else about them? Anything else about these words? I mean, you're right, but just like why, you know, why those words? They're, um, I'll get that in a minute. Um, but, you know, big words, so yes, they're the ones you sort of learn last. They're also like, they're concepts. You know, like this is, this is a stand, you know, this is my foot, this is, you know, but then all the simple action words, like I'm running, I'm walking. How, how do you demonstrate trust? How do you demonstrate understanding? How do you... So these are the, like the concept words, the big things, but they're, really the, they're real gems of the passage. And he said, this is probably the third time someone said that, heart. The heart pumps blood, doesn't it? Is that what we mean? No, we accept Christ into our hearts. Other cultures, like in pigeon, it's into your stomach. Others into your liver or some other bodily organ. But we know that's not what this verse means. Accept Christ into your hearts. So of those, um, it, you know, trust, heart, lean, understand, acknowledge, direct. Now these are the hard words to understand. So this passage then looks like this. If you take 20% of the words out, and you get mm in the Lord with all your mm, do not mm on your own mm, in all your ways mm him, and he will mm your paths. So you've understood 80% of that. Are you encouraged? Are you blessed? Not really. Well, just to show what that is, here is that same Bible verse with a fifth of the words taken out and replaced by mm, and the same, we know the concept words are difficult ones. Let's read it together. And when it says mm, we will say mm, just like I did earlier on. So read with me. You were mm by mm in God, who mm us, that's better than we mm. This is God's mm to you, and not anything you have mm on your own. Isn't mm you have mm, so there's nothing you can mm about. Okay, are you blessed? Are you encouraged? Praise the Lord. You've understood 80% of that. Uh, are you there? Does this make sense? Do you even know what passage it is? Can you pick that? Someone's sort of getting it. 
It's this verse in a non-common English translation. You were saved by faith in God who treats us much better than we deserve. This is God's gift to you, not anything you have done on your own. It is something you have earned so there's nothing you can boast about. So can you see, like when you say take 20% of the words out, really, if you don't get it all, you almost get nothing. Now, what does that mean in practice? Well, when you think of world evangelization, you think, okay, this community and this country, the national language has a Bible, so they have access to scripture. Well, do they? Often they may have that kind of scripture, the mm version, and missing the nuggets, missing the 20%, actually means you miss a lot. It also means for us, you know, migrants and people coming to our, to our shores, um, you know, yes, we want them to learn English to assimilate well into the culture, to be able to survive and thrive in Australia, but really, are they getting all the scripture if they don't have it in the language that speaks to their heart? The reason we have the Bible in English we tend to forget is because of people like John Wycliffe in the 1300s and William Tyndale in the 1500s. In their time of Middle English, um, Middle England, the Bible was in Latin. Church was in Latin. The priest read everything in Latin, and the common people knew zero Latin. So they're not even getting the um version. They're getting the nothing version. But, as, but his uh, motivation was, written in Old English, I perceived by experience how it was impossible to establish to lay people in any truth except the scriptures were laid before their eyes in their mother tongue. We have a lot to be thankful for, for our forefathers of hundreds of years ago. So where would we be now if we didn't have the Bible in our language, from that Sunday school song, how would we know that Jesus loved us if we didn't have it in a Bible that we could understand? A Pope one pastor put it this way. He said, when I read the Bible in English, it's like there's a cup of water with the lid firmly fast on it. I can see there's something good inside, but don't get any. When I read the Bible in Melanesian Pigeon, it's like there's a crack in the lid. I get, I get a little bit, but I don't get much. But now that I have the Bible in my own language, it's like this lid has been ripped off. I can drink deeply and my soul is satisfied. Just for more information, like the status of it, there are about 7,000 languages in the world. And if you look at those things, their progress has been made. There's a lot been going on. 500-ish have the full Bible, 1,300-ish the New Testament. Work happening about 2,000. But that red bubble on the right, there's still about 2,000 languages that still have nothing, not yet having one word of the Bible in their own language. Interest, and part of the, I'd say the embarrassment of that is this. So what do you see in that picture there? A bit louder? All different versions of the full Bible in English. This is actually 25, I actually have another eight, 25 full English Bibles in different versions in English, when we have so much, when so many people still have so little, like nothing. Interesting too where these languages are um, in terms of the languages yet without any scripture. And um, you know, America's 70 odd, Africa 700. Europe's the interesting one, like 43. I mean, the church has been in Europe for one and a half thousand years. Are they not done yet? The answer is no. There are many languages generally um, former Soviet Union, East Bloc, for many decades was you speak Russian and that was it, whether you liked it or not. So a lot of these Stan countries and other countries have their own national language that even yet have scripture in them. So even there, there's still many um, that don't. 
Asia about a thousand or five hundred ish, PNG um, Pacific several hundred. Our context is Papua New Guinea. Um, there's eight hundred of the world's seven thousand languages in Papua New Guinea. That's like twelve percent of the world's languages in a country with a population about the size of New South Wales. Um, so pretty impressive, um, very mountainous, very rugged. Um, and you can see the stats there, a lot's happened um, and a lot is happening, but there still is a lot to go. Still several hundred languages with no scripture yet in Papua New Guinea. Um, so what does it take to do Bible translation? Yes, it takes linguists, people actually doing the Bible translation. More and more, we're actually um, spending more time training mother tongue translators, people in their own communities who realize that they may be smart enough, educated enough to read and understand the scripture in a different language, in the national language, but recognizing their own brothers and sisters, mums, dads, uncles, aunts, etc. you know, they don't have the education to read the scriptures in other languages. So having mother tongue translators coming and wanting scripture in their own language, so providing a lot more training and mental development of mother tongue translators. Also a lot more literacy and vernacular media for those that are poorly literate and those that actually don't, either too old or just too complicated or whatever, can't read their language themselves. Um, and this is uh, just a picture of one of, the, uh, one of those projects. These are mother tongue translators using complex computer programs to do, mother, to do translation into their own language. It's absolutely awesome. Let's have a little video here of um, one of the aspects of how we're doing translation in Papua New Guinea. Thanks. six weeks we have Papua New Guineans who feel confident to look at the Bible in Hebrew and to try and read it for themselves. They don't necessarily understand the meaning of all the words but they can read it and they're not frightened of it anymore. This language is really different from all of our languages because our languages used to work from left to right but this language is working from the right to left. we learn from hearing and see and then we practice that's how we learn yeah, I'm learning to teach Hebrew because one day expatriates are going to go home, go away and what happens to us I like the style we were able to catch up because of the way we were taught, you know, just 
listening and then uh, acting it out and it is done a lot and it has been very helpful in, in getting this uh, Hebrew. You know, I said to myself, can, can you really do it? Let's just see this one week. But I was really amazed, you know, after the first week and then the second week, you know, I couldn't believe, you know, I just hoping that I would get home and talk to my pastors, you know. I think the way the lessons were being prepared was really good. But I want them to build confidence during the time here so that they can go away and keep learning. They have tools to keep going and then hopefully come back to a second course and then come back again and gradually build more confidence. I really, really enjoy myself by learning from the songs because when I, when I just sing from the, those songs that just, you know, my lips just speak out somewhere. But later on when they just come on the papers or the teacher songs us how to write it and all this, I just go, oh, this way, we are just singing it. And now it's coming on the papers that we can read. So it really helps us and it's really nice. Training is a big part of what we're doing in translation, but the, another couple minute video clip is just going to show the, the bigger picture of all that it takes for Bible translation to occur. Do the next video. Next. When people think of Bible translation, many picture a scholarly missionary working all alone in a remote village. Perhaps you think there isn't a place for you in a ministry like that. Maybe it seems too academic, too scientific, too isolated. But the reality of modern Bible translation is a little bit different. It takes a variety of people to make Bible translation happen. There are many roles you might not expect, both overseas and here at home. There are teachers, literacy workers, computer specialists, administrators, musicians, artists and anthropologists, all contributing their unique gifts. There are pilots, nurses, language surveyors, mechanics and accountants, journalists, carpenters, 
communicators, photographers, and so many more. There's a place for everyone, and each skill is essential to the team. Today, there are more than 180 million people waiting to experience God's Word in a language they can clearly understand. They need more than Bible translators. They need teams. And those teams need you. What's Bible translation all about? It's about working together to reach people with the news that God loves them. You just have to be willing to let God use you just the way he created you. There is a place for you in Bible translation. Let's find it together. Our context, um, we're part of the support structures. We don't actually do the Bible translation. Um, as I said, I was a pilot, and just looking at why we provide those things. This is Papua New Guinea, um, mountainous, very tall mountains, twice as high as Kosciuszko. Some of the mountains smoke all by themselves. Um, rains a lot. The dry places in PNG get one metre of rain. The wet places get 10 metres of rain. Um, roads are difficult to build. This is the one road that goes up into the highlands from the coast. Um, slope, 20-odd percent. Warm range is 10%, so like twice as steep as that is um, the one road that goes up there. Um, but rain and that kind of environment, very hard to keep roads open, even in towns. Just you know, Transportation is a huge challenge. Bridges become a challenge all of their own. This is now a walking bridge, as you can probably tell. Um, well, now it's only a walking bridge. So my background is aviation. Um, as a pilot flying both helicopters and aeroplanes, taking translators to and from their village, taking supplies in, um, bringing people in for training workshops, etc. Um, but uh, every job has its challenges too. That was a dry paddock when I landed, then it rained overnight. Um, but you know, the blessings, I didn't realise how much of a waterfall junkie I am. And to make waterfalls you need mountains and rain. PNG has a huge abundance of both. So some of these waterfalls um, are just massive and you know, high up in mountain tops as well. So, and some of these you only really get from a helicopter. So that's a bit of my background. Sharon does finance, um, work with departments, um, doing you know, office systems, finance processes, etc. is what she did. Um, vernacular media, as I say, is one of the um, growing things we do because most of the people that don't yet have scripture a, don't have the written language yet, but also they're generally oral people anyway. They'd rather receive information, understanding orally. So getting a lot more involved in how to do that as part of the work. Um, but ultimately, provide the translation is not the point, is it? The idea of having the word of God is not the point. The idea is what it does next. Now, to have changed lives. We want people's lives to be changed. Why are you emphasizing the Bible this month? Is so people's lives can be changed. And when enough lives have changed, communities can be transformed by the Word of God. That's really what we're on about. So as with most missions, you know, being part of the work that God does here in Toowoomba with the many environments as well, you know, praying for missions, praying for Bible translation, giving, supporting, encouraging Bible translation, or even going yourself, um, short-term, long-term. Um, 
So finish this segment before we have a short devotional. Um, Mission Matters is a, not a Wycliffe thing, it's a multi-mission event coming up in September um, for people wanting to explore their next step in cross-cultural mission um, down at Mount Tambourine. Um, and and our, buzz, our, buzz line, our tagline, you can sort of see on the screen there, a time and place to think and pray about your response to what God is doing in the world, where that is, next door across the street, where there is over the, overseas. So there's a one minute, actually 58 second video clip, if you can play that third one. What if you found the courage to do the things you'd only ever dreamed of? Would you sing in front of an audience, pack your bags and leave the country? But we're going to dream bigger because this courage comes from God. Now what would you do? Here's a thought. God has called you to go out and bring the gospel to people all around the world, whether that's the street you live in or a country that you've never even heard of. And he will be with you wherever you go. Come along to Mission Matters 2019, where you'll be equipped for local and cross-cultural mission and explore what it means to find that courage. This September, be inspired in sessions led by top speakers, connect with mission representatives and worship with new friends. Book today at missionmatters.org.au. Okay, let's just finish with a short devotional on that passage of scripture that was read earlier today. Um, Mark 8. This is an interesting passage in scripture. Um, so it's Mark 8, 22 to 25, with the passage read. It's the only miracle that Jesus did that wasn't instantaneous um, in terms, well now, like the 10 lepers going to see the, the priest, they were healed at some point along the way. But this one, Jesus took two goes at it. Now, did he take two goes at it because he didn't get it right the first time and needed practice? I don't think so. That's not the God that we serve. To me, I think it's, this passage is about seeing clearly. And I'll explain that as, as we go along. In Bible translation, what we also do, it's not just translating a verse or even the paragraph or the passage, but what phrase has been used much more is that's all discourse analysis. Like, where does this passage fit in the context? You know, and sometimes that context is several chapters. In this case, we often say the discourse, the passage that this relates to, starts way back in Mark chapter 4, four chapters earlier. In chapter 4, Jesus gave the, talked about the parable of the sower, and his disciples didn't get it. And later on, um, Jesus explains it to them. But part of his explanation, he says this in chapter 4, verse 11, the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything said is in parables. What then happens over the next several chapters is lots of events that really are encapsulating inside-outside. Those on the inside who really get who Jesus is, those on the outside who don't. Let me just give a few of those. In um, the next, so chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus calmed the storm and his disciples who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, this is his disciples. You'd think they would get it, but at that point, no, they don't. They're on the outside. They don't really know who Jesus is. In chapter 5, when they come off the boat onto um, Gennesaret, I think it is, 
um, the demon-possessed man comes down and says to him, Jesus, now what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High? Well, either the person or the demon in the person really got who Jesus was. But the townspeople, here they've seen this guy being healed. He's sitting calm, controlled, and all that. And what are they seeing? They miss all that. What they see is these pigs have gone and drowned themselves and miss the whole revelation of who Jesus is and what he has done for this demon-possessed man. Later on in chapter 5, we have Jesus going to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. And that woman, the woman who's been bleeding for decades, this is verse 25 and verse 28, if I only touch the hem of his garment, then I will be healed. Here is a woman. I mean, she's got it. She understands who Jesus is. Jairus, does he get who Jesus is? Maybe, in terms of come heal my daughter. Or maybe he's just desperate and he'll try anything. When he gets to Jairus' house, the crowd, Jesus tells them, you know, don't cry, she's only sleeping. Well, the crowd laughs. This crowd doesn't get who Jesus is. They have no belief that Jesus is going to do something miraculous. In chapter 7, there's a lot of a long passage um, in dealing with the Pharisees, talking about clean and unclean. And you think of all the people, the Pharisees should get it. I mean, they're the people who've studied the law. They're the people who are into the scriptures. And they see Jesus, and what do they see? Well, what they don't see, they completely miss who Jesus is. Now, he's somebody who breaks the Sabbath. He breaks our rules. Not He heals people. He's not God's son. In verse 24 of that chapter, the Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus now pleading with her to drive the demon out from her daughter. And Jesus sort of teases this woman by saying, it's not right to throw the, the children's food to the dogs. That's pretty confronting from Jesus. But what's her response? Yes, Master, but even the dogs eat the crumb that fall off the children's table. So you know, here is a foreigner. I mean, she's not even a Jew. Here's a foreigner, and she gets it. She's on the inside. She understands who Jesus is. <clears throat> in chapter 8, Jesus feeds the 4,000. Um, and again, with his disciples, do they, you know, do they get it? Well, not really. They're still expecting, how can we feed these many people? So there's lots of these incidents from chapter 4 up to this story where there's a contrast between people on the inside who get who Jesus is, people on the outside who don't. Let's have a look at this passage briefly. The friends of the blind man brought him to Jesus. Now again, here's some people inside-ish in terms of they seem to believe that Jesus is able to do something for them. In verse 23 it says, Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. That sounds simple, but just think about it. You're a blind man and somebody, a stranger, is taking you outside of the village outside of your comfort zone, outside of what's familiar, outside of where you know things are, where is he taking you? And what's he going to do? Will he abandon you? Will he... So there's an element of this man is having some insideness in terms of letting Jesus take him outside of the village. <clears throat> then Jesus does something very uncool. He spits on his eyes. That man, that's different... <laughs> And then he says to him, do you see anything? Let me suggest he's also really saying, do you see me? And his answer is, sort of. 
I see men walking like trees. He's getting the picture. He's seeing something, but he's not seeing clearly. So Jesus touches him a second time and says, Now do you see him? And he says, Now his eyes were opened and he saw everything clearly. Let me suggest he's really also seeing Jesus clearly for who he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. The next passage is very interesting. The next passage is when Jesus then turns to his disciples and says, Who do people say I am? And they give Elijah, prophet, etc. Then he says, and that's really unimportant. Then he says, who do you say I am? And this is when Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Finally, his disciples get it. Finally, his disciples have gone from people on the outside not knowing who Jesus is to being on the inside, recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Now that was 2,000 years ago. Is that relevant to us? Does it have application to us? Firstly, yes it does. The question is just as valid now as it was 2,000 years ago. For you and I, do we see Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who died to save us from our sins? That's what puts us on the inside of, being, of understanding who Jesus is. But the other um, part of that is, individually and socially, um, you know, we have neighbours, we have friends, we have contacts. Do they know who Jesus is? Do they read the Bible? Mostly you would say, yes, our friends and neighbours who aren't Christians don't pick up a Bible and read the Bible to see who Jesus is. So do they read the Bible? The answer is actually yes. They read the Bible because they look at you and they look at me. The Bible they read is us. It may not be the physical scriptures, but they're reading, they're reading us. In Matthew 5 it says, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Philippians 1.27 Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So let me finish with this devotional by saying, this passage is about seeing Jesus clearly. Firstly, the Bible in the heart language is the only way people are going to be able to read the scriptures and see Jesus clearly. As you've seen from the earlier exercises, when you don't get it all in your own language, you almost get nothing of that, which is why I do Bible translation. We want everybody to have that privilege, that right, to be able to see Jesus clearly by reading the scriptures in their own language. And secondly, your life is the Bible that your neighbours and your workmates the, that you're the Bible they read. How clearly do they see Jesus in your life and in my life? This last picture is a picture I took at a New Testament dedication and very, very special for me. Peace is seeing the sunset and knowing who to thank. Now, clothes in Australia are interesting. Um, clothes in PNG, sorry, are interesting. They generally come up in bales of secondhand clothing and secondhand stores everywhere. I've seen McDonald's uniforms up there for sale. I've seen a shirt that had Osama bin Laden on the front. Now, the guy had no idea who Osama bin Laden was. Didn't care who Osama bin Laden was. It was a nice coloured shirt, so he bought it and wearing it. Then there's shirts like this one. Like this one, sorry. Now, peace is seeing the sunset, knowing who to thank. And the special thing is this man does know who to thank for the sunset because he does have the Bible in his own language. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we do 
have the Bible in our own language so that we can see you clearly in the language that speaks to our hearts. We do pray for the many, many communities that still do not have the Bible in their language and therefore can't see you clearly in the language that speaks to their hearts. And also as a challenge for us all, the people who read your Bible by looking at us, may our life reflect you well. May we be a demonstration that shows you clearly to those around us. In Christ's name, amen.